Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Mark, I was uh, this week, I was talking to you earlier about how I've got this real estate transaction that I'm in the middle of. And uh, I got to tell you, real estate, at least now is becoming like, right up, it's, it's right up there with like root canals for me. I just, uh, <laughs> I'm like, so over the whole process, I'm excited for what it's going to allow me to do with my practice and things, but it, it is just kind of a pain. And this week, uh, we had some unexpected hangups come come in because of COVID and other things that were going on, uh, where we kind of had to switch loan uh, loan sources. And anyway, it was kind of a whole big thing. And I saw really, for, in very much a real, very poignant example, I was able to identify and, and look at myself. And as I look back on on uh, the week, ways in which some rigid thinking for me was coming out. Um, I kind of lost it with, uh, through text with my, with my realtor and with my lender this week, cause <laughs> I was just so frustrated and fed up. And at one point in time, uh, my wife has been helping me, helping me that we're obviously both doing it. And she was working with one of those two this week. And I actually used the phrase, you know, tell them that, that, that that's how this is going to happen. And if not, they can just scrap the whole damn thing. Cause I am just done. <laughs> <laughs> and I probably use more colorful language than that. That's as far as I'll go on the air. But I, it was just really frustrating. And I, as I look back now, um, I very much, I was talking to my realtor later in the week and, and I brought the example of, I, my wife thinks I'm kind of like George Costanza. And he just started <laughs> laughing on the phone. He's a really good guy, very diplomatic, just said, I could maybe see a little bit of that. <laughs> I just tend to be very, it's very easy for me when I'm dealing with stressful situations, if I'm not careful, right, to 
come up with this idea of like how it should go. And if it starts to get disrupted, it's very easy for me to get off track and really start to perseverate on that and focus on it. And it kind of ends up sabotaging the process even more. And so anyway, that's it. That was something that's kind of on my mind. So I'm excited for uh, a discussion on thinking errors today, or at least, at least the beginning of an ongoing one, like we've been promising forever, because these things play out in everybody's life on a consistent basis. And they're, they're difficult to spot. And uh, there's, there's a lot that goes with it. And so uh, I'm excited to jump in with you today on it. Yeah, no, that's that's a great example. And we, <laughs> listeners are going to learn in a few minutes that that one you're talking about is what we call the uh, unreal ideal. And I'm going to, so this week, I'm going to talk about my situation and the other <laughs> thinking area we're going to focus on today called emotional reasoning. And I never get emotional. I'm just completely stoic and uh, just... I'm just a robot, no emotion at all. Right, I'm being sarcastic, of course. So we're, this week with, with this whole corona thing, I gotta tell you, I mean, all of the conflicting information coming through the media, I got people bombarding me with emails continually, family members, did you read this, did you see that? And then I have clients who are in the medical profession and they're telling me all kinds of stuff, you know, you won't believe what happened in the hospital today, it doesn't match up to what the press reported at all. <laughs> and so pretty soon I'm just like, you know what? I am just done. Yeah. Like, yeah. how can I cope in a world where you don't know what the truth is? Mm. How can I be expected yeah. to continue on normal when all of this crap is going on? So here comes the emotional reasoning, right? I'm overwhelmed. It's, this is just nonsense. Now I'm tired. I'm just tired from all of this, right? Listen to the language. I'm tired. My energy is down. And you know what? I'm just, I just need to relax for a minute. So now I find myself on the couch and then I'm <clears throat> flipping on channel surfing. And if I'm doing that, I need a snack, of course. And so, <laughs> right, so before you know what's happened, the emotional reasoning has got you where you, you've just gone through a, a half gallon of Rocky Road ice cream and two hours of Netflix binging. But that was self-care, right? Of course, it's self-care, right? <laughs> <laughs> good, good, solid health care. Self-care. And then, you know, the... <clears throat> the therapist in you and the trying to live what you teach, imagine that, suddenly you come to yourself and you're like, why am I on a couch finishing up the last few spoonfuls of Rocky Road? All because I allowed myself to be convinced I was overwhelmed and couldn't cope with all of this crap. It's like, mm. uh, hello, wake up, get back to work. Stop giving in to this nonsense. Just because your brain says it's true doesn't mean it is. Anyway, yeah. that's my that's one of my stories from this last week or two. Oh gosh, I love it. As you can see, we are uh, far from perfect in this in this place. <laughs> we get pretty raw and real because this is raw and real's challenges for for guys who've even been in long term recovery. Uh, gratefully, it's around less severe topics, but uh, we're and we're grateful for that. But yeah, this is thinking errors are one of those one of those things in my estimation. There. They're very similar to shame. Brene talks. Brene Brown talks about shame as as being something that needs to be mitigated, not something that can just be dispelled. Right? Yeah. Everybody deals with it. As long as you're a human being, you're going to deal with insecurity, which means shame is always a risk. And thinking errors work exactly the same way. We all live in a world. We all have our own experiences, and the brain is constantly forming right these new ways of interpreting what happens when and why. And in a lot of ways, that can be really helpful. It's what allows us to develop really rapid thinking patterns, to be able to kind of engage with our, with our world in rapid fashion without being deliberate about every single thing uh, that we do. 
but uh, that also has a downside to it where we oftentimes will develop incorrect thinking patterns that cause incorrect automatic thinking yes. and will sabotage our efforts, right? Yep. Um, I never actually experienced these, uh, but I've, I've uh, talked to many nieces and nephews and others who, when they were doing driver's ed, uh, they have these things called, I think they're called drunk goggles. Drunk right? goggles? Drunk goggles. And uh, <laughs> what they're for, um, it's all, from what I, what I hear is it's almost kind of like a weird, distorted, you know, view or lens. Like these, they're like oil slicked and they're, you know, it's kind of warped like a kaleidoscope, you know, what you're seeing uh, through these goggles. And it's meant to simulate, you know, being intoxicated. And, uh, and then they'll, you know, do funny exercises in driver's ed, like have, like they'll set up like a pathway through the desks, you know, in, in class. And then they'll have someone try to walk through it with the drug goggles on with the drug goggles on, right. To try and like not kill themselves. (laughs) Anyway, you know, drop falling over something. And, and, uh, when I think of thinking errors and how they operate in my brain, that's probably the best example I can think of, of how those actually work. Because when you're looking through drunk goggles, you're still seeing everything that everyone else is seeing. This kind of goes back to that shower, opaque shower example I used last week. It's something very similar, right? You're still seeing what is there. You're seeing the, uh, the same things that other people see, but you're seeing it in a very different, very warped, in many cases, distorted way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, I, I'm, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, ahead. You, no, finish up. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I mean, it is, it is, you know, a topic that is never ending in terms of, of working on, because as long as you're human and as long as you're evolving, you're, we're all going to be at risk for these things to, to form. And, and I almost kind of look at it like emotional whack-a-mole, right? Where <laughs> when I look at these thinking errors, you know, you smack them on the head. And the minute you think that one's finally done, you know, three weeks later, it pops up again. And, oh, yes. And so the game, I think, with or the, or the recovery from those isn't so much, going back to kind of my example, like with shame, it isn't so much as in how do I get rid of them all? I mean, we work on what we can and we change them over time, but it's much more a game of when these pop up, how do I develop a resilience to getting back to correct thinking and dispelling those as quickly as they do? Yeah, yeah. Right? So that you don't, uh, so that you you don't lose your marriage, or in my case, a real estate transaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or in my case, ending up a blob on the couch yes. know, for the entire day. <clears throat> yeah, I I actually it was interesting. I had uh, so I do you know some some group therapy stuff as part of my practice as well, and I uh, this week took my group, one of my groups, through an exercise. Hmm. And uh, I brought in a box of drinking straws uh-huh. uh, to the group and I had them each take a straw and I said, uh, now keep your straw. And I want you to imagine that I'm a tour guide and you're all on my tour okay. and we're going to we're on a bus and we're going to this place that is world renowned for its vista. It's incredible. Mm. People come from all over the world just to catch a glimpse of this incredible panorama. Yeah. And just as we're about to crest the, the little hill to see this vista, each of you take a drinking straw out of your pocket and you put it up to one eye and you start scanning this incredible vista looking through the drinking straw. Yeah. And so I had them all in group put the straw up to their eyes I said, look around the room, look at each other. What do you see? And all they could see was this little teeny tiny hole, right? 
of information coming in, coming into their eye, you know, coming into their brain. And I, so then I said, I said, put down the damn drinking straws. We're at the Grand Canyon. Mm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then we started talking about our, our topic today of thinking errors, right? How many ways do you and I, all of us allow our brains to distort and to filter and to, you know, interpret what's going on in us or around us based on what we see through that little drinking straw. You know, I like to say the brain only knows what it knows. It's a closed system. Mm -hmm. And everything you and I experience, everything we see or hear or feel is all put through our filter. And the first thing the brain asks about anything we're experiencing is, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. The brain has to, it, it has to have context. And the only way it knows what something means is how? By going back to past experiences we've had in our database, mm-hmm. pairing it. What is this like? Oh, it's like that. So that's what it means. Yep. That's the only way the brain can come to meaning. Mm-hmm. And that's great because like you said, it's efficient. We don't have to stop and learn something all over again or try to figure it out brand new. But it's also a problem because it creates a bias. It creates, as it were, looking through a drinking straw or, as you said, through an opaque shower glass or drunk goggles. Yeah. And unfortunately, when we allow that to happen, it can really thwart, you know, derail our healing and recovery processes from addiction and betrayal trauma because of these thinking errors. Yeah. So you and I talked about this. You've got a bunch of different thinking errors. You have your clients like that. I've got 17 different ones that my guys check in daily. Yeah. We're not going to do all those today. No, no. So we decided to, to look at two and the stories yeah. we just gave you are directly related to these. So my example is what we call emotional reasoning and yours was the unreal ideal. Yeah. Um, so why don't you, why don't you talk about the unreal ideal for a minute? Sounds great. So yeah, so this is going to be the first in a kind of a recurring uh, new sub-series that we're going to be doing on the podcast where we tackle some, a couple of these, you know, on a given week uh, at a time. We won't be doing these back-to-back like we have with others, but they'll be popping up once in a while. So you'll want to be looking out for those. Um, if I look at the uh, unreal ideal, right, um, that plays out, I think, in a lot of different ways. And it doesn't just play out, you know, in the day-to-day stuff, but also in the big scheme or the big picture of things, right? Mm-hmm. If I think, if we talk recovery, which is what we're here to discuss, right, let's, let's look at a few ways in which that, that plays out. When I work with, and th- this happens a lot from both the perspective of an addict as well as the spouse of one, um, for a lot of the addicts that I work with, unfortunately, uh, some distorted thinking can come into play, which creates an unreal ideal, for example, around what recovery should look like, right? If I'm in recovery, quote unquote, here, is, here are the things that I should be looking at to make sure that I am. And the reality is, is that some of those are probably valid and true and correct, but others might be falling into that category of unrealistic thinking. I'll give an example. I have a client, uh, well, I've had multiple clients like this over time, so it's not just any one client, but often I will work with clients who, when we're talking about like definitions of slips, right, versus relapses, um, there tends to be a whole discussion about that, which we've done on a previous podcast episode. 
Um, so we won't get into that whole thing today. But oftentimes I will have clients come in who have developed an unrealistic ideal, for example, around what like a slip is. They have interpreted this con the concept of a slip to mean somewhere along the way from a sponsor or whoever, uh, that if I feel like an attraction, for example, to anyone else, that's a slip, right? I've messed up. I've, I've slipped and I've got to talk to my wife about that today and da, 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 da. Now, obviously every situation is unique and this is not therapy that we're doing here on the podcast. And so not without speaking to anyone's situation, I would just say, generally speaking, again, this goes back to a previous discussion we had about this. Um, it really isn't helpful to tell your spouse how many times a day you are, or to be, or more importantly, to be counting as a slip anytime that you feel attraction for someone else, be it emotionally or physically or whatever. Attraction is just that, right? Like we've talked about, it's just, just attraction. It's not, not in and of itself, lust is, lust is what you do with it. But uh, when I'm working with guys who are struggling with that, it makes recovery very difficult. I, I actually spoke to a wife one day who was uh, married to a gentleman who was married to a gentleman uh, struggling with this. And she had been kind of taught the same thing. And what I told her was, if you're waiting for your husband to never be attracted to another woman again, you are going to be waiting for a long time because that's never going to happen. That's not what healthy sexuality looks like. That's not what healthy connection looks like. All of us go throughout our day and week and whatever, and we run across people, be it physically or emotionally, where we, we have some sort of chemistry with, we jive with, we get along with, you know, they're interesting to us or whatever the case may be. And, and holding one to that ideal, again, it is essentially saying that recovery means I can't be a sexual person, right? Yeah. Uh, I can, in order to be recovered, I need to not be uh, tied in with my sexuality. And, and a lot of guys get that from other sources too, right? So another example of that would be, um, you and I talked about this, we've talked about this many times where my addiction became so problematic, and I know yours did as well, that, you know, options like chemical castration, <laughs> just like maybe physical castration, mm. right, were really things that we were considering on the table because addiction was just ruining us. And it was like, and somewhere along the lines, what did we learn? Sex was the enemy. It's this dang sexuality of mine, right? It's my genitals. It's my brain interacting with my genitals. It's just ruining my marriage. It's ruining my life. And so I got to get rid of it. When in reality, that's not the case at all. And, and, and even if we were, had gone that route, it wouldn't have really solved our problem. So an unrealistic ideal can not only prevent real progress because you're shooting for something that isn't, isn't possible, but also can oftentimes lead you down a, a totally incorrect path. Because for a guy, for example, who's, who's in that place of, well, anytime my husband feels some sort of an attraction for someone, you know, uh, is, is slipping, they're, they're setting themselves up for a lifetime of unhappiness in a marriage. When yeah. again, the focus should be on other things, right? As hallmarks of recovery. So that would be, that would be kind of an example of, of setting that bar. Hey everybody, Mark and Steve here. Are you looking to take your recovery and your marriage to the next level? We work with individuals and couples one-on-one. -on -one. With both in-person and online therapy options, you have access to the experts anytime, anywhere. To learn more, visit us at pbscpodcast.com.
it's interesting because I need I need to give a really quick input on this. You said if you're waiting for your husband to never be attracted to anyone else or never have any more sexual drive, you know, you're going to be waiting a lifetime. I actually mm-hmm. have an example with a client where that did happen. And the mm. reason it happened is because this particular client was suffering from uh, a particular disease or cancer. I'm not going to get into details, but he was on a drug that literally lowered his testosterone to zero. Sure. Zero. Mm. And you cannot believe what happened. He became a man with no drive, no purpose, no energy, mm-hmm. no desires, nothing. Yeah. He was a complete and utter couch potato. And that drove his wife nuts. Sure. So she got to experience what that was like. Yeah. A man with no drive. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't his fault. He was a truly, in this case, kind of a victim of circumstance. But he got to experience what that was. And he told me, he says, Mark, any guy that you talk to who says, hey, I just want to be cured where I never have these drives ever again. Mm-hmm. Says, they really need to step back and ask themselves, really? Is that really what you want? And he, you know, he gave me permission to basically use him as the example of somebody who actually tried that. Mm, yeah, it's a great point to bring up. Yeah, so even, know, if you, right? even if it was attainable, is it really what you'd even want? Yeah, <laughs> in the first place. You know, and if we're, if you sure. and I are really super transparent and honest, the reason that we got to the deep dark place that said, "Look, just cut it off or castrate me or whatever," mm-hmm. is really because we were at a place of desperation. We tried it our way forever and ever. It didn't work. And now we were just in a place where we wanted to avoid escape. Mm, For me, if, if that, if I really get honest about what that was, I just didn't want to have to do the hard work. Yeah. I wanted a shortcut. There's a pun, a shortcut. Yeah. Anyway, just get rid of my desire, cure me. I don't want to deal with this anymore. And that's an example of being in addiction versus being in recovery. Yes. You have to challenge that thinking error, that unreal ideal. And as you and I were talking earlier, a scripture came to my mind. It's a real famous one from the New Testament where Christ talks about lust, mm. right? Any man who, you know, lusts after a woman, the, the active thing of literally going through that whole process of undressing her in your mind and blah, 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 blah. He's committed adultery in his heart already. But yeah. then he gives the solution. It would be better if you denied yourself of that. In other words, don't go down that path. And then he says what it will take not to go down that path. Take up your cross daily. Mm, it's like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. You mean for you and I to begin to manage and channel and direct these urges is like taking up a cross each day? Every day. Yeah. Well, you and I can attest to that. And certainly the clients we work with, it's sure. not easy. Yeah. Right. Well, and to, and to kind of expand on that analogy, not that I want to interpret scripture too much. Right. And <laughs> it's not implied, take the cross and burn it. It's not, you know, <laughs> chop it into little pieces or, you know, whatever the case may be, throw it in the recycling bin. It means carry it. Carry right? it. In a, on that sexual level. Right. That is a good God given thing. It is not the problem. It's how you use it and engage with it. Like we talk about all the time on here. Exactly. How do you, how do you use it and channel it and and manage it? And and I spend a lot of time as you do with my clients really talking about what a beautiful, amazing, fabulous gift it is. Mm -hmm. I try to get my guys to the place where they do, when they do feel that urge, they say, ain't it great to be a man? Yeah. Now, what am I going to do with this male drive? Oh, I'm thinking of my wife. Mm-hmm. I love her. She's gorgeous. Wow. She's amazing. 
I'm thinking how much I want to work and excel and achieve, right? All, all the ways that you channel that amazing drive. Sure. It, as you said, it is not the enemy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we could, yeah, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we say that like once and once or twice. I know, right? I think every week. <laughs> um, so many things to cover, but, uh, but what you were just describing, it's interesting because in my experience, you know, these thinking errors, and you're going to see this as we talk about them more in, in upcoming segments, they tend to happen in multiples, right? Very rarely does like one standard thinking error just kind of come into play and nothing else is interacting with it. In my experience, you know, usually a couple of them at least will like kind of sign up together. And then yeah. I just pick from like an evil, like satanic Hansel and Gretel skipping through the woods, like setting th- everything on fire in my life, you know, as they go. Um, <laughs> that's very much how it kind of operates. And, and such was the case in what you were talking about, right? That, that uh, you know, when we have that impulse to be done, right? Or got to get rid of my sexuality because it's so uncomfortable, right? Or because it's so painful that I need to get away from it. That's a perfect example of emotional reasoning. Yes. Right? Emotionally, I feel discomfort. There's a lot of pain tied to this. And now I'm taking that, the fact that I'm using that pain and, and almost in an exclusive way, using that as saying, well, then this is a bad idea then. Mm. Right? Yes. My sexuality up to this point in my life has been harmful to me. So sexuality must be harmful. So I need yeah. to get away from it. Right? Um, I, I completely abandoned the, the, the logics, the logical side and, and, and ascribe to that. And I mean, if you were to, I'm glad we're talking about emotional reasoning today. I would, I would dare anyone to bring me someone who struggles with compulsion to not struggle with emotional reasoning. (laughs) Right. Um, there's so much that we do as addicts and as partners in betrayal, to be fair, when it comes to emotional reasoning, right? We make so many decisions and judgment calls from that place. Because another way to look at emotional reasoning would be, in, in a sense, in many respects, would be to look at it, again, in, in a partial term, as midbrain reasoning, right? Or, pre, or uh, reptilian brain thinking, yeah, right? Lim- it's limbic reasoning. Exactly. Reasoning. Yeah. Exactly. It's being driven by that as opposed to kind of the logical side of things. Yeah, and I I think that's so true. It one it just this has always been the case, but I've noticed with the chaos of of you know the events over the last few months, you know myself, my clients, my family, so many of us are feeling overwhelmed by all these emotions, right? And if and people often well, what are emotions? And I like to think of emotions as just uh, what the word says: energy in motion. Yeah. Emotion. And where does that energy in motion come from? It's when something's going on in me or around me, and I interpret that stimulus or event through my, the filter of my brain, and I come up with a reaction, a feeling, a response. Mm, Here's this yeah. emotion or energy in motion. The mistake that we make that becomes so hard in recovery and healing is when I take that emotion or reaction as fact. This is yes. how I feel. Therefore, it's how it must be. So it becomes both the, the logic as well as the emotion. <laughs> right? It right. becomes everything all wrapped up in one neat little package. Yeah. I'm feeling this. Therefore, it is. Therefore, I have no other choice. Therefore, I must take this path. 
man, I've, I've had some couples of late where they've gotten themselves into a place where they're just like, you know what, this marriage just has to end. We -hmm. can't take this. We can't do this, right? He does this, she does that. And man, do I see this emotional reasoning and unreal ideal coming into the picture where their interpretation of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And let's, I mean, then let's be, let's be accurate and compassionate and real. It's painful. I mean, what they're going through is hurts like, like crazy. Yes, absolutely. Yet, nonetheless, it is based on interpretation, my emotions, my own brain's take on what's going on. And I try to help them to step back and maybe just dare to question it. Mm. Is this the only explanation? Is this the only path forward? Do we have to go go forward and do this or that? Or can we question it? Do we dare to get outside the box? You know, not easy because, man, when you're in it, you seriously believe you have no other options. Yeah. I mean, it hits on an example that we've used time and time again, right? What's the, you know, what emotional reasoning, I think, is probably like the number one culprit in concert with some other things that prevents a guy from finding recovery. Intellectually, he knows that he can't keep going the way he's going. Mm. <laughs> Right. His brain is telling him, hey, like consequences are mounting, you know, things are getting more difficult. <laughs> you know, that's the way you've this, been doing this isn't working. Yeah, this marriage is not working, you know, like all these things. And but because of discomfort, because of the emotional side, I can't do that. I can't talk to somebody about that. I can't open up or be real with somebody, right? Because of that fear, right? Because of what will happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If if my neighbors, my friends, my religious leader, my a therapist, if other people know about this, I, I that's just worse than death. Right. <laughs> I just can't. That just can't happen. Right. And there's not really any logic behind it because most of us haven't experienced that. It's it's very much fear emotion based. Yeah. And it's you know if we could all step back from it and just try to consider how many things on a daily basis do I take for granted when really all it is, is just emotional reaction. Yes. It's it's my brain filtering and interpreting and giving meaning to what's happening where that's not the only possible meaning. That's not Mm -hmm. the only quote fact that exists. It's just the way I'm seeing it based on usually past experience. Yeah. You know, so as we talk about that, we get into our assignment, which is, you know, to help those who are listening, how do I start to come at this thinking error issue? Like, how can I even start to get outside myself and begin to look at this? Because yeah. that's hard. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I even know how to do that. Yeah. So that's, we were, that's our assignment for today is to help them to start to make some progress in challenging those thinking errors and standing up to them, specifically emotional reasoning and, and, and the unreal ideal that we're talking about today. So walk them through the assignment. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that. So uh, this is going to be uh, we recognize this is the first part of kind of where we're hitting thinking errors pretty hard. So it's it sometimes can be a little difficult thinking in these terms. But we're going to have you take just these two this week, and individually for you couples out there, and obviously individuals. This you know most of this will apply to you as well. But uh, for you couples out there, each of you take these two these two forms of thinking errors: the emotional reasoning and the unreal ideal. 
And we want you to do some journaling about it. Uh, do some self-introspection about it. Just do it on your own. Uh, don't involve your partner at all with this yet. And come up with the, at least the top two ways in which, in which those manifest for you. Um, I don't issue guarantees very much as a therapist. I guarantee you everyone listening struggles with both of these in at least two ways, be they big or small. Um, everyone struggles with these kinds of things. And so, the, I mean, these two that we pulled are kind of from a list of a, of a top, a well-used top 10 thinking error list. And I've seen lists on Google of like 2000 thinking. Errors. <laughs> so it's very difficult not to struggle with these. So I want you to go through and explore that. How does it manifest in, and also what ways does it hold you as an individual as well as your marriage back? Okay. Once you've kind of fleshed that out as much as you can later in the week, sit down and during a couple's check-in, which we've talked about on past episodes uh, or a separate discussion or what have you, share those with your partner, right? Each of you share those. Hey, you know, after looking at this this week, I kind of realized, you know, these are the probably the biggest culprits for me, right? In which these have happened. And once you've been able to share, if it if the relationship is in safe enough place to do it, there's my caveat, <laughs> right? If you guys are in a place of sufficient intimacy and trust where you can where you can dialogue about it, a great next discussion would be, hey, partner, can you help me to see other ways in which these might be playing out, either for me individually or in the marriage? Are there other things that are going on? Because one of the number one attributes to thinking errors, as Mark talked about before, because they are difficult to detect, you know, we often talk about blind spots in recovery. This is exactly what we're talking about, right? The reason why we all struggle with these isn't because we're trying to be deliberate. It's because we, we don't see where the error is wrong. And that's why we keep perpetuating these things. And so a great place to do that, if again, if it's safe enough, is with a spouse. Um, we always encourage working with a good, qualified, competent therapist, uh, as we will right now, because they can help you with those things as well, maybe on a more intensive, trained level. Um, but this is a good place to start. And so that's, that's what I would say would be, the, would be uh, a good place for these for these listeners to begin, what do you think? No, I love it. Yeah, do some individual work where you just journal out and write about how emotional reasoning and unreal ideal might be present in your life. Just, to, just how it feels, how it pops up, you know, in your, in your daily life. And as you said, how it's holding you back, mm -hmm. or maybe, maybe holding back your marriage. But then I love the part, if you're in a healthy enough place, if you can do it, then come together, share what you've written with each other, but then ask, so what do you see? Here's what I've expressed about what I see in my life with these two thinking errors. What do you see as you observe me? Because I can't see everything, but maybe I can get a different perspective from you. Yes. And that's hard. I know because <laughs> when the spouse starts to share, your, your ego is going to say, wait a second. That's what you see? Well, I don't agree with that. Well, <clears throat> that doesn't you're seem reasonable. Right. Oh, total. Well, and that's where you got to go back to our, our couple's basics, right? That we've talked about before is just recognizing that this is my partner. I'm asking them, I'm inviting them in to share with me their reality. Right? Yes. It isn't even necessarily reality per se. It's just, I'm trying to get their perspective. 
And if I'm going to ask for a perspective, I need to treat it as just that, a perspective. A perspective. I don't Not as a, oh, well, you're telling me I'm wrong then. Right? <laughs> I know. It's so easy. And that's another thinking error we'll go into at another yes. time. <laughs> yes. We don't, want, we don't want you to start off the week when this thing airs on Tuesday, you know, in a bad place with your marriage. Please <laughs> take this slow and as much as you're able to, but this is a good place to start. Uh, guys, you'll be shocked as you go through this. And as your brain becomes more adept at recognizing these, just how much they play out with you, it's it really is pretty eye opening once you start yeah. to really pay attention. Yeah. So and it'll actually anyway. be, it'll actually become fun. You'll yeah. be like, "That's so cool that I can see that now." Well, and and the real cool part is when it starts to change, right? Exactly. And we're going to talk about how to do that even more down the road. So, anyway, awesome, everybody. Well, hey, have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you another day. Yep, sounds good. See you later. Bye bye. That's all for today. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. Together, we can do the impossible. To learn more about Mark and Steve and to listen to more podcast episodes, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.